and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick. Great to have you along on this particular episode, the second one of the series. Um, great to be back on here. This one, we're going to talk a lot more about coyote tactics. Um, the season is in full swing now for myself. Uh, just had our first hunt of the season a couple days ago. So uh, throughout this episode, I'm going to talk about uh, that hunt. Um, I'm going to talk about all kinds of early season tactics as well um, and, and all the things that go into the planning process um, in the early season. So um, before we get going, I want to thank Lucky Duck Predator Calls. They are the sponsor of this episode. Um, if you followed me um, on the Last Stand YouTube Predator Hunting TV series, you know that's all we use is Lucky Duck Predator Calls. Um, I've been fortunate enough to to work with Lucky Duck over the last five or six years helping them develop these predator calls um, a good buddy of mine rick Pellett, which probably most of you know um, he's responsible for the sound library that you'll uh, find on those which most will argue that uh, that sound library is the best out there so um want to talk to you a little bit about the all-new super revolt um, that lucky duck is launching here this fall um, it's essentially the revolt on steroids everything that you love about the revolt you're going to find it on the super revolt it also comes with the new um, LD3X remote, which is the same remote that you find on the Roughneck call. Um, so you get the 360 degrees rotation, you get the built-in decoy, you get the huge volume and speaker um, that you get on the Revolt and both the Roughneck. Um, the Super Revolt comes with 200 of Rick Sounds. Um, and one of the new features that's really cool that I got to mess with a little bit this past weekend, I actually got to use this call um, still uh, is one of the last prototypes that uh, we had before uh, they put it into final production. Um, but with this new Super Revolt, you're actually able to run two sounds at the same time, which if, you, if you're if you familiar with Rick's Sound Library, there's some phenomenal coyote sounds, coyote fights, coyote distresses, things like that. And being able to play two at the same time um, is going to be a game changer with coming up with whole new sounds that coyotes have never heard before. So excited to use this call this year. Um, and once again, thanks to Lucky Duck. If you want some more information, you can find uh, find it at LuckyDuck.com. So getting into this episode, I want to talk about early season tactics. And, and before I even get going, you may be thinking, seasons on coyotes? Yeah, you know, in most states, there isn't a technical season on coyotes. You can shoot coyotes year-round. For me personally, it's, it's a self-imposed season. Um, and it goes back... A little bit to to what I do and what I do for a real job, I guess you could say. Um, it goes back to the fact that you know the coyotes here in Western Nebraska, where I primarily hunt, um, have always been worth some money in the fur market. Um, so, you know, if you look at uh, you know my real job, I own a lawn care company, and uh, you know, so I'm I'm busy with that from March uh, through you know Octoberish. Um, I also am pretty heavy into baseball. Um, I coach a travel baseball team with my middle son, Carver. I'm the president of our, our youth baseball organization here um, in Scotts Bluff, where I live. So extremely busy in the summer, you know, so there's just not a lot of time for me to do anything other than those things. Um, on top of that, I'm not a big fan of being out in the heat and the grass and, you know, dealing with the, the bugs and snakes and stuff like that in the, in the summertime to shoot coyotes. Um, so that's really why... I've have a self-imposed season. Um, part of me, you know, is kind of wants to kind of give the coyotes a break, I guess, you know, when you hunt them as hard as I do for five months, 
and you kill, you know, 300 or whatever it might be, you know, you're kind of like, okay, you know, I went hard. It's time to, to change it up. And I really like the, the change of that. Um, not to say that what, if you're hunting me around, that's a bad thing. It's just not for me. Um, you know, and then on the fur market side, you know, which we'll talk about here, you know, in regards to early season tactics, we're going to look at the life cycle of, of coyotes throughout, throughout a year. Um, we're only getting one crop of coyotes a year and there's, you know, there's a thought process out there that, you know, if you're out there shooting the coyotes off on your places in the summer, you know, then there's just maybe not going to be as many coyotes out there in those same places come fall. Um, and there's a lot of factors involved in that. I think that we're going to talk about, but, um, I've, I've kind of been under that assumption as well that, you know, why, you know, why really go kill a bunch of them in the summer when they're not worth anything. Um, when I can wait until the fall, uh, you know, when their fur is, is primed up a little bit and then I can get a little bit of money out of them as well. So, plus it's colder, uh, hiking around and stuff. You're not sweating as bad and, uh, just, uh, just gets me pumped up to go hunt coyotes when it's a little cooler, not 95 degrees and, and sunny. But on the same on the same hand, you know the thermal game is changing changing the scenery quite a bit, um, with more and more guys getting hold of thermal, more and more states opening up regulations so you can you can thermal hunt night hunt. Um, you know I, I know a lot of guys will do that in the summer. Obviously it cools down in the evening times in, in the summer, um, so that opens up some options as well. But when I say seasons, um, keep in mind you know most of the time there's not an actual coyote season. When I refer to a season, it's it's my personal self-imposed season so before we get into some real tips and tactics i want to kind of run you through this first hunt of the season it was a fun one um happened a couple days ago Uh, it's middle of october that's usually about the earliest i'll get going every year um like i said mostly because of my lawn care business and things like that um but uh anyway my boys are super pumped they're always excited this time of year they get the itch you know i'm getting the itch i start to see you know pictures on social media from guys you know that that are out killing a few coyotes, and um, that doesn't help the itch at all. Um, but anyway, so we decided to to pack up and head down to Colorado to hunt with a good buddy of mine, Brett Rye. Uh, I've known Brett for a long time. Uh, actually met Brett through my contest that I put on up here in, in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, the Coyote Craze Classic. Um, Brett's hunted in that a lot, of, a lot of years, and he actually started hunting in the contest um, probably back in 2010. Um, and at the time I was filming, uh, the coyote craze DVD series and, and, uh, after the contest was over, uh, we got to talking and he invited me to come down and do some filming with him. Um, so that's how we first met since then, you know, we've been partners in, in contest. Uh, we hunt the Wyoming best of the best state championship contest. We're actually defending champs. Um, and we've won it two out of the last three years. Uh, so we're looking to defend our title coming up here in November for that again. But, uh, Anyway, he has a he has a son named Elliot who's six. Uh, last year we took Elliot out and he actually was able to kill his first coyote, so that was pretty exciting. So he said Elliot was getting excited, um, and uh, I ended up taking my two older boys, Creighton and Carver, along with us. So we loaded up, headed down to Colorado. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I have a, a prototype of the Super Revolt, and you know they're not quite out yet. Uh, you know the production models aren't um in stock yet they're uh, that's all in process right now um but rick had this prototype and uh you know rick's actually up in kodiak right now uh, trying to call in a brown bear so he he knew he wasn't going to be using this call for a month or so so he sent it to me um and i was excited to go test it out like i mentioned earlier in the intro um the super revolt has every feature that the the revolt has which was my go-to call um was the revolt um 
but uh, you know, there's some things that we wanted to upgrade on the the Revolt for people that really were looking for the ultimate predator call. Um, you know, by beefing this call up a little bit, using the same remote that's on the Roughneck, um, and then the ability to play two sounds at once was really the new feature of this call that I was excited to try out. So we loaded up, headed down to Colorado. It, it's always a long day, you know. People, I think, underestimate um, what I'll do to shoot coyotes. Um, you know, essentially, we got up at four, four in the morning. Um, we left Scott's Bluff, you know, about 4.20, and it was about an hour and 45 minutes down to Sterling to meet up with Brett. Um, and then we hunt all day, um, and then we drive home that night. You know, it was it was 9.30 when we rolled into the house, uh, and it was a Sunday. I know my wife, Gina, wasn't real happy that the, the boys were pretty tuckered and they had school the next day, but, um, you know, that's a typical day of coyote hunting for me. It's not unusual for me to drive two hours one way to hunt coyotes just for the day and drive back so you know keep that in mind i i talk to a lot of guys that feel like you know if they're if they're driving more than 30 minutes you know that's all the farther they want to go to to find coyotes you know sometimes you got to drive sometimes you got to get away from things um so it's not unusual that's that's pretty common for me to drive hour and a half two hours one way but uh you know this hunt was no different but anyway we get down there um we knew the weather was going to be typical for early season. Um, you know, it was going to be down in the, you know, mid forties at sunup, uh, throughout the day, the wind was going to, you know, maybe blow 10 or 20 and it was supposed to get up to 70, 72 degrees, which is very typical. Um, and knowing that, you know, you know, that when the weather conditions get like that, um, you know, some may call it kind of a bluebird kind of day that, you know, the coyotes aren't going to be real motivated. And I'll talk about this in a little bit, a little bit more detail in a little bit, um, when it comes to hunting these early season conditions, uh, in, in what to expect. But anyway, we get down there and get going, um, you know, early season like this, and I'm going to go into this in a little bit detail too. You know, we lay out a plan, you know, Brett and I, you know, have some text conversations throughout the week about, you know, where we're going to go. And he's lining up permission with certain landowners. And he's like, you know, we got some public areas down here as well. I think, you know, be worth hitting those. Um, so he kind of lays us out a plan, um, of, of how we want to go based off of the wind direction, you know, a route that's going to take us to all these places throughout the day, or we're not having to do a lot of backtracking and waste a lot of time. And, um, we elect to start off on some public stuff, uh, some public walk-in, um, right off the bat and just big open pasture country, uh, kind of some tall grass and some, some sagebrush, uh, some kind of rolling sand hill kind of looking stuff. Um, so, you know, we get into that first stand and early season, you know, I'm expecting, which I'll talk about this in a little more detail to the, the coyote dynamic that time of year, you know, what percentage of coyotes are pups, what percentage of coyotes are older coyotes, things like that. You know, that's all things that, that go into my calculations when it comes to picking the different sounds and things. Um, so I like to, you know, start off with more, less aggressive, and I'll get into more of this detail as well, but less aggressive prey to to prey based sounds. Um, you know, squeaky sounds, lip squeaks, you know, a sound called baby cottontail demise, um, swamp rat, some, some real less aggressive sounds. You know, when I say less aggressive prey sounds, that would be those when I, when I say more aggressive would be kind of your, your loud growly jackrabbit sounds and things like that. Um, and this all falls into the whole coyote dynamic, which I'll go into a little bit, but first stand goes by, we don't see any coyotes. We move into the second stand, um, and the great thing about having my boys, one thing I've noticed, you know, I'm 42 years old, so I'm not young, but I'm not old either. Um, my eyes aren't near what they are. You know, I, I haven't got to the point where I need glasses or contacts or anything yet. 
but in low light conditions, my eyes just sometimes don't pick up coyotes like, you know, my, my spry young boys can. And, and it's great to have them on stand with me because I call them my little coyote spotters sometime. Um, because they'll spot coyotes. You know, a lot of times I find myself anymore. I really don't, when I'm scanning on a stand, I don't look past maybe two or 300 yards. And, and that's on stands, obviously, when I can, when you can see quite a ways. Um, my boys, they'll look out there as far as they can see. And a lot of times, you know, especially Carver, my middle boy, um, and it must be why he's pretty decent at baseball. He, he has really good eyesight, you know. Um, he spots these coyotes out there at six, 700 yards coming, and he'll freak out. And you'd think the coyote was right at the call the way he's acting. Um, but then he'll say, way, way out there, and I'm looking, and I can't see the dang thing, you know. And, and he's he's mad at me because I can't see it, and I'm just telling him to be a little patient. The coyote's still coming. I'm telling him just to keep me informed on what the coyote's doing. But um, either way, um, you know, actually my oldest boy, we get to the second stand. Of them. We don't see anything on the first stand, so we move up the road a little bit. Oh, about a mile and a half. We walk into a, another spot. Uh, Brett, you know, had a, a spot where we could pull off the road. The, the vehicle's hidden behind a little hill, and we could skirt around it. And it was a little bit longer walk. That's the that's the downside sometimes to hunting some of this public walk-in stuff is uh, your walks in and out are a little bit longer than normal. But you kind of base those decisions. Hey, is is it worth you know where we can get to? Is it worth the walk and worth you know wasting that extra time walking in and out? Um, and these stands, obviously we felt it was so, so we get in there. Um, I started off with a sound on, on that lucky duck called lip squeaks. And if it's pretty calm conditions, I'll crank that up to maybe 24, 26 on the, on the call, which is almost full volume. And you'd be surprised that sound carries out there quite a bit. It's not a great sound to use when it's real windy, just because it doesn't cut the sound, uh, the wind that great. But on this particular stand, I started off using that, um, and a lot of times when we're hunting anymore, we use two-way radios with earpieces, and, and we spread out, and we cover. On this particular stand, uh, Brett and Creighton were way down around the side hill, kind of covering the downwind half of the stand, and Carver and I were set up covering the call. Um, and I'd walked the call way out there, you know, about 50, 60 yards from us, um, and we kind of worked our way up on this little side slope just where we could have a little bit better visibility because, you know, early season hunting, a lot of times you'll run into the vegetation issues, the grass is still tall, you know, the wind and cold and snow hasn't knocked some of that stuff down. So sometimes it's hard to see coyotes coming through that stuff. You know, you got to figure a coyote at the shoulders only, you know, maybe two foot tall, you know, the top of his ears are maybe, you know, 28 inches, 30 inches tops. And it doesn't take a whole lot of grass to, for a coyote to blend in. So if you can get a little bit of elevation, you can see down into that a little bit better and hopefully catch that movement. And that's what we did. And either way, my, Creighton was actually on the downwind side and there was a two track road, um, cut, cutting through that pasture. And he actually said, Hey, there's a coyote that's, uh, right in the middle of the two track, um, on, on a hill out there about 500 yards. So, and he, and he's relaying information to me and he told me that the coyote was sitting down just looking at us. Well, at that point you have several options. I mean, you can continue to use the same sound, but at that point, if that coyote's sitting down while that sound's playing, he lost interest to that sound. So at that point I'll switch up. So um, I switched up to a sound called Lucky Pecker. And sure enough, I still don't see the coyote, uh, but Creighton comes over the radio and says, hey, the coyote's up and he's he's trotting our way. Um, so at that point, it's just a matter of being a little patient and uh, kind of waiting to see where this coyote shows up. Well, a minute or two goes by, and sure enough, Carver now spots the coyote as he comes up out of this little draw, um, and the coyote starts to circle us. Um, you know, and at this point, this time of year, you know, you can assume that it's, you know, 
could be an older coyote that's maybe just a little more cautious, um, or it could be a pup coyote that's just not uns- is still unsure of itself, really, you know, maybe wanting to come in to investigate, but, you know, just doesn't quite know what's going on. And and that ended up being the case. This was actually a pup coyote. It was an older pup coyote. It had its, had its you know, full adult teeth in. It was probably a 22, 24-pound coyote. Um, but it gets to about 150 yards, and it starts paralleling us. Now, at this point, the wind's clear back behind us. I know Brett and Carver are covering that. Um, I, this coyote has a long, long ways to go before it's going to get our wind. So, but it, but when the coyote starts paralleling you, you know it's the gig's about up. That's probably all the closer he's going to get. So at this point, I'm just talking Carver through it and telling him, "Hey, okay, let's be patient. Um, you know, let's just wait till the coyote gives us a good shot." And the grass was tall enough you could really only see the top of the back, the, the very, very top of the coyote's back and his head and neck cutting through the sagebrush and grass. So I had Carver move his gun and kind of get ahead of where the coyote was going. And, uh, when it kind of got into this little clearing, um, he was on down on the, down on the gun, ready to go. Um, we gave a quick, quick woof and the coyote stopped up about 160 yards and all he had was a head and neck shot and he put a great shot on it. Uh, hit it right underneath the chin, just dropped it dead in his tracks. He was pretty pumped up. You know, that was his, obviously his first coyote of the year. Um, but, uh, you know, and that was the first coyote of our, our hunting season. So uh, hard to beat that. But we loaded up, hiked that coyote back to the truck. We went down the road a little bit, kind of came in and made the, the same exact setup. Um, and, uh, you know, ended up killing another coyote. Um, kind of the same same situation. We we started calling. Um, this coyote came in from hard right, and it, and it was early on too, and it, I was just using the lip squeak sounds. Um, probably within the first three minutes and, uh, off from the right, this coyote comes hard over the hill. And I had, there was a little bowl in front of us and another hill out there in front of us, probably, I don't know, 70 or 80 yards. And I'd actually walked that call out to that side of that ridge, that hill. And the goal was if a coyote comes from straight out, he would, you know, disappear between the middle hill and he would pop up, you know, right at the call and we'd kill him. Or if he hung up on the far hill, it was only like a 200 yard shot. Or if the coyote came in from hard right or hard left, it would funnel that coyote right down that ridge to the call and not on the side of the hill where we were sitting. And, and sure enough, it worked out perfect. The coyote came in from the right. He was locked into the call. Um, and at that point, you know, if I can get him to stop with using the call, that's what you want. Because the coyotes, that's the whole point, one of the whole points of using the e-call with the remote and getting the call out away from you is so that the coyote's focus is on the call, not you sitting off to the side. The soon as you go woo or bark or yell at the coyote, you just gave away your position. Um, so if I do everything I can to stop the call, stop the coyote using the call, whether I hit a preset and it's a coyote female challenge scream howl or something on there to try to get that coyote to stop uh, before I resort to trying to bark. Well, anyway, I this coyote was, was on a pretty good run coming down to the call, and, and the grass was once again tall. And, uh, I hit the preset, but the coyote wasn't stopping. So, uh, we start woofing, trying to get the coyote and it checks up and looks right up at us and it stopped for just a few seconds, which wasn't long enough for, for any of the boys to get a shot at it. And it spun around and took off running. Um, and at that point you can kind of, if you see enough coyotes come to the call, you can realize that this coyote just wasn't going to stop and, and give us a look back. He had been in close enough. He had saw, he saw us and he was getting the heck out of there. So, uh, I was able to get down on the gun and, and rolled him up, you know, probably a hundred yard shot running off. Um, so I felt good about that because it, you know, I'm not going to lie to you, you know, over the course of the spring and summer, I don't, 
ever have a chance to go shooting. So I hadn't even shot my gun up until a week ago. I just went out to the range and got everything sighted in and ready to go. So I hadn't even shot at a coyote since March. And the first coyote I get to shoot at was a running coyote, and I killed him on the first one. First one. So uh, that made me excited. And, and, and it's with running shots. It's I get a lot of questions on that. Um, and to me, it's, it's, it's just a habit. It's like a second nature at this point. Um, you know, that's why I can, you know, it just seems like, there's really no way to practice it other than just shooting at running coyotes. And it's something that just stays with you. But I got a few other stories throughout the day that, that happened with that as well. But, you know, now we're two stands in a row. We got two coyotes. This coyote was a, a younger coyote and had some mange on it. So he was obviously a good one to thin out early in the season like this. So um, we ended up going to the next next spot up the highway a little bit. And it's the last stand that we're going to have on this particular chunk of public walk-in area. Um and we, and we walk into the stand and it was probably a half mile walk in the boys were, were dragging, they were complaining They're They're kind of, they're fortunate. You know, a lot of times when we're hunting sandhill country and things like that, we're able to get in pretty close to our stands. Cause we're just basically using my truck and off-roading it through these big, massive pastures and pulling in behind a little hill. And usually the walks aren't more than, you know, maybe a hundred yards into a stand is all. Um, so these, you know, six, 700 yard walks into these stands on this public stuff were a little more than the boys were used to, but it was good to see him work a little bit. But we, anyway, we get into this stand and the wind's not quite ideal. Um, it's kind of a crosswind, but the wind is actually a little more behind us. And what I mean by that is when, when we get into this stand, you're really wanting, you know, 180 degrees out in front of you of where you're hoping the coyotes to come from. And in that 180 degrees, you know, you don't want, you don't want to walk through that, you know, which we didn't have to, we walked from the other 180 behind us, uh, the trucks parked back in that back 180. Um, and you don't want your scent blowing there. Well, when we got there, the scent was kind of blowing from right to left and out into that 180, just a little bit. It was just a little bit past, you know, being a crosswind. So knowing that, um, I thought, you know, the way we, we wanted to set up, you know, our our scent was just going to be blowing down a draw that I thought a coyote could probably easily come from. So we, we ended up backing out a little bit and working our way downwind until we found a hillside that we could see more downwind better and that um, we were all lined up better um, with our wind blowing. And, and, you know, in those setups like that where the wind's a little questionable, you know, a lot of times I'll walk the call farther out just to create that uh, imaginary scent trail. And I, I talk about this a lot, and I'll talk about it a lot throughout these podcasts. You know, when a coyote's hunting the sound, he's hunting the imaginary scent trail that's coming from that e-call. There's not a, you know, you and I sitting on the side hill, we have a constant scent coming off of us. And it's a scent trail that meanders its way across the, the landscape, however the wind blows it. Um, there's not a constant scent coming off the call. Yes, there are, there is scent associated with it. And yes, if a coyote gets, you know, within 10 yards of it, you know, he may be able to smell it at that point. Uh, but he's not going to smell the call a hundred yards downwind of it, or even 50 yards downwind of it, because it's not that constant scent. So that's really the illusion we're creating by putting the e-call out there is that now the coyote's hunting that and, you know, picture our scent trail blowing from right to left. And I run the e-call out you know, 70 yards in front of us. And it basically there, now there's a 90 degree angle. If I draw a line from me to the e-call and then I draw a line, which direction the the wind's blowing from me to where my sense blowing, that creates kind of a 90 degree angle. Now, if I draw a line from the e-call in the direction the wind's blowing, that would be this imaginary scent trail. Now that imaginary scent trail line 
is essentially paralleling our real scent trail, which is now about 70 yards apart. So when a coyote circles downwind, he really doesn't have any reason to cross that imaginary scent trail and continuing even more that way to reach our real scent trail. And that's essentially what we did on this setup. And I had Creighton cover, you know, the far, far downwind. And uh, Brett and myself and the boys uh, were right at the call. Well, anyway, uh, as soon as I start the call, you know, at this point I'm kind of going, it's kind of like fishing in some cases. You know, if it's working, it's working. You know, the last couple of coyotes we called in had basically been on lip squeaks. So um, that's what I started the standoff with. The wind hadn't picked up yet, so I knew that was that sound would still carry plenty far. And uh, so I get going. Uh, fire the call up, and it's just less than a minute in. Creighton comes over the radio and says, hey, there's a coyote off to my left, almost straight downwind that just stood up on the grass. Um, so this coyote was just laid up laid up sleeping right there, and, and once it heard the sound, it stood up, and he said it started making its way. And so I reminded him over the radio that, hey, just really be sure of exactly where your wind's going and, you know, just don't get too greedy. If if once you get a shot under a couple hundred yards here, let's let's try to kill this coyote. And, you know, Creighton did a, a great job. You know, there was a couple minutes of silence and all of a sudden you hear whack, you know, and he, I knew the coyote was pretty close because you could hear the whack just instantaneously after the shot. Um, well, anyway, this coyote worked his way right down in front of him um, and it was honed into the sound, had no clue Creighton was even sitting there. He did a great job of not moving. Um, and once the coyote moved, you know, I've taught these boys sometimes instead of woofing at coyotes, just make if they don't know you're there, actually just move a little bit. Um, and that's exactly what Creighton did. He just actually shook his body a little bit, and the coyote saw that out of its peripheral vision and checked up and looked at him while he was already on it and, and dropped it right there, you know. Sometimes, you know, you can woof, and sometimes your adrenaline's pumped up, and it, it comes out a little louder than maybe what you wanted it to. Um, and, and obviously that can cause coyotes to, to sh you know, freak out, maybe look up at you real quick and see you. Um, sometimes I resort to a lip squeak over a woof sometimes to get him to stop as well. It doesn't seem to maybe freak him out as much, but, uh, anyway, you know, three stands in a row, three coyotes. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is going to turn out to be a pretty good day. Um, you know, at that point, you know, we packed up out of there. Brett had some stands, had some landowners, you know, about 15 minutes away that, that we headed to and put together a plan. And at this point in the day, it's like nine 30 and we had three in the truck and, uh, you know, we hunt, we hunt, we hunt, we hunt, we hunt. Now it's up to 70 degrees. It's We eat some sandwiches. The boys are kind of periodically skipping stands and taking naps in the truck. And before we know it, it's 2.30. And we haven't even seen a coyote uh, since that third coyote we killed, which is very typical, you know. I mean, it's 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 nice weather. Um, early season like this, there's lots of food sources, which I'm going to talk about here in a little bit. Um, you know, so it's just a matter of, of getting in close enough to these coyotes. You know, I'm not expecting early season coyotes in bluebird weather to come running from a mile away, um, especially in, in these conditions and in this part of the world. So, um, but it's just a matter of grinding out stands, um, covering ground and trying to find coyotes. So we probably knocked out 10 or 12 stands there throughout that middle five hours or more, um, without even seeing a coyote. And, you know, we got into some agriculture ground um, in that country, there's, there's some dry land, corn, there's a lot of wheat ground, wheat stubble, um, things like that. And, and there was some access to some properties, um, that Brett had that had some standing corn still on it. They haven't harvested yet. Uh, once that corn's harvested, those stands aren't really stands at all because then 
once that corn's gone, there's really no cover in there at all. Um, there's nowhere to hide a vehicle. There's nowhere to do anything, you know, once later in the winter gets here. So we elected to make a couple of these stands because this is really the only time of year you're going to be able to make those stands because this, the corn is still in. And obviously corn's a great cover, any kind of crop like that. Those coyotes are going to lay up in there. They're going to spend time in there. But there's food sources in there for them. Um, so it's a great place. So we we finally get to a stand um, where, you know, and I'm going to back up a little bit. I, I forgot. Brett is a, a rural route UPS driver. So, you know, it, it's a unique job that he has um, that's basically helped him in the coyote hunting game because he's delivering packages to ranchers and farmers all day long. Um, and he's done this for 100 years down there, it seems like. Um, so that's basically how he's met all these farmers and ranchers and how he's got access um, and then on top of that, he's driving these roads every day, delivering packages. So um, he's he's seeing coyotes. He's kind of, you know, locking it in to say, hey, you know, I saw a coyote over in this place, you know, two times last week. Um, so we would talk about that and where he's been seeing coyotes and using all that intel that we can to, to figure out, you know, where we're going to make these setups. Well, we get to a spot where he said he'd been seeing a coyote in the in the area Um and there was a ditch, a irrigation ditch that kind of ran through the, through the section of ground there. Some, you know, heavy, tall CRP grass on one side. There was some wheat stubble. Um, so we set up along this ditch, um, and uh, I get the, I actually walk down in the ditch and up on the other bank and out into the wheat stubble and put the call. And my thought on that was, you know, the we we didn't have a whole lot of visibility if a coyote would come along the ditch, and there was a lot of tall weeds along the ditch as well. So my my idea was if a coyote comes from the other side of the ditch, we'll be fine because he's got to cross the uh, the wheat stubble and we'll be able to see him. But if a coyote comes from left to right down this ditch, it's it might be tricky to find to see this coyote before we can get him killed. And by putting it out there, maybe he would come up on the, the inside part of the bank to to get a visual of the call, and that would give us a shot. Well, once again, I'd been sticking with with the lip squeaks, you know, I knew it worked earlier in the day. It was just a matter of getting close enough to some coyotes that wanted to, to respond to it. Um, and just a few minutes in to plan these lip squeaks, I look clear to our right down, down the ditch about, I don't know, 200 yards. There's a bend. And that was the only part of the bottom of the ditch that I could see. And here's this coyote running right down the bottom of the ditch coming to the call. And at that point I lost him. Um, I got on the radio and told Brett that Hey, we had one coming right down the ditch and he was set up to the left and he actually had a better view straight down the ditch. Um, so he watched this coyote come right up. Um, and I was sitting with Carver and, and I was, had Carver ready, you know, as soon as this coyote came up on the ditch bank that we'd be able to shoot him, but we never did see him. And, you know, all of a sudden we hear Brett, you know, and, uh, he actually killed the coyote. The coyote had actually got to the ditch where, I had walked down through it, and any time a coyote gets to where you have walked, they're probably going to smell. Luckily, this was a little dinky pup, and he didn't know any better. And once he cut my tracks um, and winded that, he actually kept on running straight down the ditch. A lot of times they'll flip around and do a 180 and run right back out where they came from. But this coyote decided to turn and just keep on running the way it was headed, which was right at Brett, um, and he ended up shooting him running down the bottom of the ditch. But... uh, it was a little dinky coyote, uh, you know, probably a run of the litter, maybe a late litter. I mean, this coyote probably didn't weigh more than 12 or 14 pounds. Um, as Brett said, it was harder to hit because it was such a small target. Um, but uh, <clears throat> but it was a light drag back to the truck. But we felt good now because, hey, you know, we're we're finally on coyotes again, fourth coyote of the day. Um, it's about 3.30. Great thing about early season, the sun, you know, sun wasn't set until 6.30, so we still had 
you know, two and a half hours of, of hunting left. Um, so we get back to an area where we have some standing corn and, uh, we have some cattle in a pasture and it's another little public walk-in section, just lots of cover. You know, if you look out there in 180 degrees, there's multiple places where coyotes could be. Um, there's, there's several big thick tree rows. There's this entire corn circle. Um, you know, so the more, when you, when you set up on a stand like that, um, and you take that 180 degrees of untouched area out in front of you, the more places, um, that there could be coyotes out in the 180 degrees, the better. And, and this, this had lots of options where coyotes could come from. So, um, obviously it was a primo stand that, that we wanted to make. So, um, I get on the call. This one took a little bit longer, you know, early season like this, I'm going to stick to probably two primary sound base. You know, I'm going to start with a prey distress sound of some kind, usually on the less aggressive side. Um, you know, if it gets windy, then I may move to more of a louder rabbit sound just because it is naturally louder and it's going to cut the wind a little bit better and carry farther. Um, but then that second half of the stand, I'm going to go to some, some pup distress sounds. And we're going to talk about that, why I do that here in a little bit when we talk about the coyote life cycle and, and the dynamic of coyotes that time of year. But that's actually when this coyote showed up. Um, I was into some pup distress and, uh, I believe it was a schoolyard brawl, I believe was the sound, um, on the lucky duck. And this coyote actually, I don't know if he came from down the tree row or if he he was in the cornfield, but we catch him off to the left and he's, he's streaking down the edge of the cornfield. Um, he's not wanting to come to the call, but he's wanting to try to get to a point where he can see the call. And there was, there were two or three different gaps in the tree row and, Creighton and Carver are off to my left, and as the coyote's coming down, they see him, and so their instincts took over. So they, they look ahead of where the coyote's heading, and they see these couple gaps, and they get set up. Well, the coyote runs into the gap, and, you know, Creighton lets out a, a wolf to try to stop him. Well, he stops. Well, I have a shot. I'm further off to the right. Um, I have a head and neck shot at about 160 yards. Creighton was up a little higher on the hill, so I figured he would have a full body shot at the coyote. But the coyote stopped a little too far left in the gap, and, and he stopped right behind a tree branch, and Creighton didn't have a shot. And I was holding up thinking Creighton was going to shoot him. Um, and the coyote stopped for maybe about four or five seconds, and then it turned and trotted, trotted into the cornfield. So at that point, I knew the coyote hadn't winded us. I really doubted it it could even see us up there. We were tucked into a fence line that had quite a bit of, of weeds and stuff, so I, I really didn't think he, he'd picked us out. So whenever that happens, a lot of times I'll just start switching through multiple pup distresses, uh, you know, playing for each maybe 30 seconds to a minute. Because a lot of times those coyotes don't leave. They're just hanging out back in that cover somewhere and and they'll come back. You'll you'll catch their interest one more time and they'll come back and give you a look. And and about a minute and a half later, I had flipped through a couple different pup distresses. I think maybe Sig kicking ass number three, uh, maybe pup chaos. I can't remember exactly, but. Running down the same route is is another coyote. Whether it was the same coyote or a different coyote, I don't know yet. Um, I guess I'll never really know. Um, but it came on the same exact path. It ran the same exact speed. And it stopped in the same exact gap, almost in the exact same spot. But this time I knew uh, that Creighton didn't have a shot. And when he checked up, I had a head and neck shot at about 160 and put one right underneath his chin. And, and that was that. Um, but pretty exciting. I mean, it, it's a different experience. Sometimes what you'll get, it's not all, you know, early season is not all just young, dumb pups come running in, you know, there's still older coyotes out there. And this is a, this coyote ended up being a, you know, probably a, t a two year old, uh, male coyote, you know, that, that we got out of that stand. But, you know, at that point, you know, we're five coyotes deep, 
you know, the sun's starting to, you know, get a little lower in the sky. It's cooling down a little bit. The wind's actually dying down for us, which is always great. Um, and I, I talked to Brett and I said, you know, it seems like, you know, we, we were finding more coyotes earlier today in more just rolling pasture country, not more of this ag based ground. So he said, you know what, I got a place we can go. Um, that's got, uh, you know, two, st- it's, I got enough for about two stands. Uh, it's a couple different sections and it's just rolling pasture with, you know, grass and, and sagebrush and things like that. So one of the stands was a little thicker grass and things like that than the other one. So I said, you know what, let's make the, the, the stand that has the thickest cover, let's make it first before it gets too dark because obviously the taller the grass, the thicker the grass, it's harder to spot those coyotes once the sun goes down um, and it starts getting dark. Um, so we elected to make that one first. So Brett and, and his son Elliot and Carver and I went on kind of the left side of the hill and Creighton wanted, decided he wanted to be the downwind guy. Um, so I sent him about 100, 100, 150 yards kind of down the side hill uh, on the downwind side. And he was covering basically a, a whole part of the stand that we couldn't even see. And it's not just a few minutes in and all of a sudden, at, at this point, I, I'm trying some new radios. Um, and, if, and the batteries died on our radios at this point. So we had no radios. Um, and... All of a sudden, I hear Creighton over there woofing, you know, like, woo, woo. You know, so instantly, you know, he has a coyote. He's trying to get this coyote to stop. And I'm waiting to hear a, a pew, you know, but nothing, nothing, nothing. And about that time, Brett lip squeaks at me and points straight out and, and motions that we have another coyote coming from straight out. And I'm still waiting for a shot from Creighton. I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything. So I switch it up to a, a different pup distress because I was playing a prey distress sound at that point I switched it up one of the pup distress I think Sig kicking ass and still don't hear anything and and at this point now a couple minutes have have gone by so I'm just assuming that well that coyote that Creighton saw must have winded him or something and about that time I hear I hear a whack coming from Creighton well, at the same time, I looked down, and Brett says, right down here, right down here. Well, the coyote he had seen had got into about 100, 200 yards right below us in the grass, and I just couldn't see the coyote. I talked earlier about my eyes getting bad when it gets low light. I just didn't see this coyote. And all of a sudden, this coyote takes off running kind of at a 45-degree angle away because of the shot, uh, that Creighton. And, and I get the coyote in the scope, and just to, from watching lots and lots of coyotes run off, you can just tell that this coyote is not going to stop. Um, so I kind of bear down at this point. Now the coyote's probably, you know, two thirty, two forty on probably a, a two thirds run. You know, he's, he's getting out of there. So I felt pretty good about it. So I, I squared up on him first shot, missed him. Obviously he takes off running full speed at this point. Um, it was probably, you know, he was probably two seventy five uh, at a running at probably a 45 away from us. Um, you know, I put the, put the crosshairs out there probably 10 feet. I, you know, it's hard to say sometimes, uh, it's hard for me to remember exactly, you know, it's more instinct than anything, but you know, 10 feet in front of that coyote squeezed off the second round round, and that coyote just rolled up, you know, dead in the grass. Carver shot at the same time that I shot my second shot when the coyote rolled. So he, he thought he had shot the coyote and if, and I'll be honest with you, if we were goose hunting and you know, that happens, I would have probably given him the goose, but obviously a running coyote. I, so I have to ask him, I said, how far did you lead that coyote? Carver and he said three feet and I said no you didn't hit that coyote then that wasn't far enough you know um so 
anyway, now I'm excited to hear what Creighton happened to Creighton. So the sun's setting now, so we're scrambling, you know, as, as contest hunters and just the way we hunt in general, you know, we're hustling now because we want to try to get in one more stand. We're pumped up because we just killed a double. You know, it's our seventh, sixth and seventh coyote of the day. Um, you know, we're pumped up, so so we're hustling now. So Brett and the boys head back to get the truck. I head down to try to find this coyote in the tall grass. I find the coyote. I drag him over. They drive down the road, pick me up. Creighton's all pumped up about his story. I guess what happened is his coyote came in almost straight down wind of him, was running at the call. Creighton was woofing out. The coyote was looking at him on a full run coming to the call and peeled out of there, and Creighton lost him down in the sagebrush. But but the coyote didn't, when I switched up that to that pup, the coyote must have looped back or something because then Creighton said the coyote disappeared for a minute or so and then showed back up right downwind of him again and ran over the hill behind him. And Creighton's must have been paying attention the last few years because a lot of times if a coyote runs over the hill behind you, you know, we'll jump up and take off running up over the hill because, I mean, the coyote's gone at that point um, unless you jump up and run up to the top of the hill and try to get a shot at him running off behind you. And that's what Creighton did. He said he ran up to the top of the hill. He said at that point the coyote was like 40 yards running off, kind of looking back over his shoulder at him, and he said he offhanded him. Uh, ended up shooting him right in the face. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. He he was he talked more about I'd never seen this before, but he was actually shooting uh, my dad's bolt uh, action 22250, um, and he said he shot the coyote right in the face, um, and he said it actually blew the tongue off of the coyote, which is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. He said the coyote was laying dead, and the tongue of the coyote was like five feet laying in the sand beside it. You know, which is unreal. But he was. That was he was so proud of that, you know, that that he had he had made that shot, you know, which which was pretty cool. I'm, I'm that was exciting for me to to hear that he had the the wherewithal to run up and do that, you know. So anyway, we throw the coyotes in the truck, and just as we had planned, we got one last stand. Uh, we pull around, we had to actually backtrack around on a county road and and pull in there, and same thing. We kind of had a fence line, and uh, at this point, sometimes on on a late stands like this with grass. Um, I will take my thermal and, um, you know, use it as a scanner, um, just helps spot coyotes coming in, even though we're going to shoot them with our normal day scopes, I'll just scan with my thermal. So Creighton wanted to take the thermal, um, to scan uh, since he had just killed a coyote. That was his second coyote of the day. So he, I don't think he was thinking he was going to get a, a coyote anyway. So he went to the left, him and Brett and Elliot, and he was scanning with the thermal. Carver and I went off to the right. And on the right side of the fence, they must have had more cattle in that, that pasture over the summer because the grass wasn't near as tall. It was mowed down quite a bit. It was a lot easier to see. And that's honestly why I elected to pick it because I knew uh, getting dark like that, it was going to be hard to see these coyotes. And, and the more, you know, the less grass was in that pasture, the better off it would be. So we get set up. And once again, I start with some lip squeaks. And it's not just several minutes in and Carver says, Dad, off to the right, off to the right. And and uh, I look, and they're coming in this little bottom of this draw uh, is this coyote. And once again, I had the call out in front of us kind of to funnel any coyotes that got down in this low spot. They would funnel them from right to left, right in front of us to the call. Um, and it was off to the side a little bit as well. So this coyote's working his way right up the bottom on a pretty decent trot coming to the call. And Carver asked if he could shoot him. Well, I was pointed right where that coyote was coming from. Carver was kind of pointed more straight out front. Um and I said, yeah, I said, yeah, Carver, if you can get on him. Well, as Carver was moving to get on the coyote, obviously the coyote saw that little bit of movement, didn't know what we were because we were tucked into some sagebrush and things. And the coyote checked up just perfect for him. He's able to get on it, and he shot that coyote chest on about 75 yards. 
so that was his second account of the day, and, and he was pretty pumped up. And, and at that point, um, throughout the day, I had been messing with the two sounds at once and, um, you know, maybe playing a rabbit sound and a pup distress sound at the same time and then occasionally pausing the rabbit sound and just maybe letting out a few wah, 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 and then pausing while the whole time the pup distress is going just to create some different sounds, some different scenarios. Um, and that's what I did. I, I was playing some SIG uh, kicking ass and uh, some cotton ball. And now, you know, maybe three, four minutes have went by since we killed that coyote. We've probably been on stand a total of eight minutes at this point. And Creighton or Carver whispers over him and says, Dad, there's two of them standing up on the skyline. And so I look up at the skyline and I can't see anything. And, I, and he says, they're just standing there, Dad. And I still can't see these coyotes. So I, a lot of times if a coyote checks up like that, in there within a couple hundred yards, a lot of times I'll switch to one of those squeaky sounds like baby cottontail demise or lip squeaks. I kind of call it a, a finisher sound. And that's what I did. I reached down and I hit my, and I have lip squeaks on a preset. So I just reached down and hit the preset and it killed both of those two sounds I had going and it went to lip squeaks and Carver doesn't say anything to me. So I'm like, so I'm still looking up on the skyline trying to f see where these coyotes are. And I kind of moved my head to look back at Carver and he, his eyes are getting big, and he says, they're right here, Ned. Well, these coyotes, had came once the lip squeaks hit, they had come running down off the hill, and they were running in the same bottom uh, that that, uh, that first coyote was, and they got they actually ran right past this dead coyote. A lot of times they'll smell it and check up and do some weird things, but they actually ran right past the, the first dead coyote, and they got into about 50 yards, and they kind of looked up, and they could kind of see us up there, and they, they kind of start peeling off a little bit. And kind of they slow down, but they're kind of bouncing on a trot. And some this is this is where it gets hairy sometimes. You know they don't they don't always want to stop for you when they get that close, and and they're bouncing, and it's not always an easy shot. Well, Carver shoots first and actually hits the the coyote on the left. Doesn't make a great shot on it, but it's but it's an anchoring shot. Well, the coyote on the right turns and starts racing up the side hill to the right, and I was able to get on this coyote. He was maybe about seventy yards streaking up the hill and I had one shot at him before he got up and I ended up rolling him right as he was right as he was clearing the top of the hill um, by that point Carver had shot his coyote another time to, to finish it off and uh, it, was, it was pretty exciting you know uh, killing a triple on the last stand Carver was pumped up poor Brett and, and Creighton were over you know they, they didn't see any of this happen um, but yet they had to come over and help us drag coyotes back to the truck so it was a great, great, fun, fun way to start the season. Um, you know, getting kids out there, you know, early season tactics. When you talk about that, you know, if you're talking about getting youth out to hunt, really an ideal time to do it. More so the weather um, is great. You know, kids aren't real excited to probably go out there and freeze their butts off to kill coyotes like we are. Um, so when you can hunt coyotes in hoodies and T-shirts, and you're having some success and some luck calling in coyotes. That's exciting for those kids. Um, you know, when we talk a little bit about the life cycle of coyotes, um, you know, there's lots of opportunity this time of year, which we're going to get into here just shortly. But, you know, to kind of get you pumped up about that story, you know, it's a great way for us to start our season. But based off of that, let's let's get into a little bit on early season coyote tactics. So to really understand early season tactics and and when I talk more about late season coyote tactics and stuff throughout this you know episodes coming up I'm going to use this same model um, when I'm teaching my coyote schools things like that we spend a lot of time talking about this because it's I think it's extremely important to really understand coyotes um, 
you know, coyote hunting is is basically taking a whole bunch of variables, a whole bunch of theories, and kind of putting them all together and coming up with an educated guess. Every time you pick a sound, it's an educated guess based off of these variables. Every time you pick a spot to call, it's an educated guess best based off these variables. Um, so understanding this coyote life cycle is extremely important. So let's talk about that a little bit. We're only getting one crop of coyotes a year, okay? Um, and I talked earlier about self-imposed seasons and some guys, you know, killing coyotes year round. Ultimately, there's got to be, there's got to, there's, there's give and take there. Um, if you're killing coyotes all year, um, you know, either two things have to happen. Either A, you have to have enough properties to hunt where, you know, the, the stuff you're hunting in the summer maybe is not the same stuff you're hunting in the winter. Um, or if the stuff you're hunting in the winter, you have to hope that there's lots of these, when we're going to talk about this, transient coyotes, young coyotes that will move in back into your areas come fall and winter when there's this great dispersal of, of coyotes. So um, you can't expect if you're out killing coyotes in the summer that there's always going to be a bunch of coyotes back in the, in the wintertime. Um, but vice versa, if you're only killing coyotes in the fall and winter and you know, your places that you're hunting, you know, aren't seeing pressure and aren't having coyotes killed off, then, then we know based off this coyote life, life cycle that the coyotes themselves are going to replenish the, you know, the population. And by the time I come back next fall and winter to hunt coyotes, there's going to be new coyotes in there. So when we take a look at this coyote life cycle, let's start when coyotes are born. All right. Coyotes have a gestation period of about 60 days, just like a normal dog. Okay. Um, so a lot of coyotes are being born in the month of April, you know, maybe May if it's late. Um, I think, you know, it varies across the country, um, just like the deer rut and things like that. But it's it's pretty synonymous with, uh, you know, springtime, you know, fawns being born and, and things like that. You know, coyotes are having pups at the same time. So come April, that's when we will have our highest density of coyotes we will have year round. And when I'm talking about this coyote life cycle, I'm talking about it as a whole, let's say in the in you entire United States or entire North American province, whatever we're talking about. I'm not talking about a very specific area, like a, a specific ranch or a specific county. I'm talking about generally speaking. Okay. So in April, we have all these coyote pups born. So we have our highest density of coyotes. Now, when I talk about this, I talk about high, the density of coyotes and I talk about density of callable coyotes because there's a big difference. And what we're looking for is densities of callable coyotes so obviously in april we have a huge the, the most coyotes we're going to have all year in april but a huge portion of those are uncallable because they're little two-week-old coyote pups still in the den with their eyes closed right so what we get then you know as as the summer progresses you know not every coyote is going to mate you know these these coyote pups that are you know a year old you know when mating season back in February rolls around, a lot of these pup coyotes are nine, 10 months old. You know, not every one of those is going to breed. Um, so, you know, you might only have the, the two, two year old and up population doing a majority of the breeding. So not every coyote's going to breed. Um, once you get to the summertime, not every coyote is going to have a den of pups. There's still going to be these one year old transient coyotes roaming around, um, you know, trying to make ends meet as well. Not just the, the pair of coyotes trying to, you know, feed their pups in the den. So as the summer progresses, um, you know, these coyotes that, that are adult coyotes that are raising these pups, the pups are getting bigger. Um, come towards the end of the summer, these coyote pups start coming out of the dens. Um, 
you know, they're still not callable coyotes at this point. They're just, you know, into that coyote density, not the coyote callable density side. Um, but once we get into that, into summer, you know, starting into August, September, you know, these coyotes are old enough now that, that they're going to start dispersing over the next couple months. And, and I think just like anything, you know, some litters are, you know, born before others. Some coyotes in the litters are just naturally bigger and more aggressive and they'll head out on their own sooner um, than other coyotes. But in this, in this fall time now, a huge portion of these coyotes that were uncallable have now become callable coyotes just because now they're old enough to move on their own. They're trying to feed on their own. They're not relying on mom and dad anymore. Um, and they're dispersing across the countryside now. They're, you know, the, the parents are kicking them out of their area. Um, you know, coyotes aren't pack animals like wolves, you know, they have this social dynamic early on throughout the summer and the family groups and things like that. But, but once the fall hits, you know, the coyotes are going to go back to being kind of solitary animals and wanting to be on their own. So these pups are dispersing across the landscape and, and that's why early season coyote hunting, um, really is, is the best you're probably going to find all year because now we have our highest density of callable coyotes you're going to have all year because now if you picture a graph, you have these this density of overall coyotes is, is pretty high right now. Obviously, over the course of the summer, some coyotes are dying off, just maybe getting hit by cars, dying of disease, things like that. Um, and then obviously now once you have all these pups now are big enough, they're starting to disperse. And once you start getting coyotes to disperse, they're going to start getting hit by cars. And that's a good sign early in the fall. If you're if you're traveling a lot and all of a sudden you start to see some some coyotes, more coyotes dead on the side of the road, you know, that's telling you that, hey, we're probably getting into this dispersal time frame where these pups now are big enough to start scattering out, which when they're starting to scatter out, that means they're, they're, they're getting big enough to call in. And, and also early in the fall, you know, the coyotes haven't seen a whole lot of hunting pressure yet. Um, you know, in general, I don't, I think there's lots of guys that will hunt coyotes all year, um, and things like that. But in general, I think the hunting pressure is still pretty minimal at this point. So, early fall, you have the highest densities of callable coyotes you're going to have all year, and you probably have some of the lowest hunting pressure you're going to have for the next four or five months. So you put those two in conjunction with each other, and it usually makes the, the calling pretty good. Now, as the winter progresses, you just have a steady decline in, in the number of coyotes. Um, you know, now, you know, big game seasons hit, and we all know if we're out deer hunting, a lot of guys will shoot coyotes and things like that. Um, so, you know, then obviously coyote hunters are out killing coyotes, um, so you just have this steady decline from, you know, October all the way through February of not only the, the coyote, overall coyote density, but you have a steady decline then in the overall coyote, the callable coyote density as well. Now, usually the callable coyote density will be a little bit steeper drop than the overall angle because now we're talking about callable coyotes. So now we have to take into consideration the coyotes that may be even pressured now, the coyotes that called in that didn't get killed. Um, because now those coyotes are quite a bit smarter, you know, and I tell people, you know, you're going to get one crack at calling in a coyote that time of year. Um, and if you mess it up, you know, that coyote, heck, he might be 10 times smarter the next time you try to come in there and kill him again. So it makes him tougher to, tougher to get killed. So they're not necessarily callable at that point in some situations. So that line's a little steeper. Now, as we get, you know, through the winter months, um, you get into, you know, late January, you know, dynamics change a little bit. You know, the coyotes aren't so worried about sustaining themselves anymore. They're more worried about sustaining the, the coyote population, which is a bonus for us. Um, you know, these coyotes now that have been pressured, um, they're switching gears to mating season. So there's some tactics we can use late season when it comes to using more coyote-based sounds 
especially the stuff you'll find on a, on a Lucky Duck call, you know, the coyote fights, the breeding sounds, the, the coyote vocals, um, you know, and this is a whole new podcast later, later this year when we'll talk into late season tactics. Um, and there's things you can do to throw at these, these remaining coyotes that are left. And, and at this point, you know, you may be looking at 50% less coyotes in, in the area than what you had back in October. Um, just because that's, you know, how many coyotes might be dying off and getting, getting killed out of an area. So, um, and then obviously now the coyotes are breeding and it's February. And then two months later, uh, we have a whole new crop of coyotes in, uh, in April and the whole cycle starts again. So keep that, keep that cycle in mind when you're hunting coyotes and, and use it as one of these variables that we talk about that we try to, um, you know, alleviate and try to plan for. Now, another thing when it comes to, to early season coyotes is laying out a plan for, for the access, the land you have to hunt. Now, laying out a plan is, is, is important. You know, we all have access to places that we hunt, you know, ranchers we know, farmers we know, public land that we know, whatever it may be. And hopefully you have some sort of log. Maybe it's just in your memory. Maybe you're using Onyx Hunt. You know, you're, you're marking all your spots. And early on in the season, I will sit down before I start hunting coyotes, and I will kind of lay out a calendar of how many days a month do I think I'm going to be able to hunt coyotes. And, and at that point, I'm going to use that to determine how much land access am I going to need. I mean, it takes a lot of access to continually and successfully kill coyotes for four or five months throughout what I call my coyote season, you know, October through, you know, February. And, and a lot of people underestimate how much access and how much land, you know, it really takes to, cons- you know, consistently kill coyotes like that. So I'll look, and if I say, you know what, I'm going to be able to hunt coyotes 15 days a month, okay? And I'm talking about full days of hunting. That means leaving the house, getting out on the stand, first stand of the morning at sunup and hunting all day until dark, you know, making 15, 18 stands, whatever it may be. At that point, I'll say, okay, if I'm going to hunt coyotes 15 days a month, I'm going to take that times two. And that's how many days worth of hunting I need access for. So in that case, I need 30 days worth of hunting access. Okay. Now you may be saying, wow, that's incredible. I mean, that's a ton of amount of land to hunt. Well, what I like to do is I like to create a first half and a second half season. And this is an ideal situation. I like to come in and hunt properties one time in the first half of the season and a second time in the second half of the season. All right. Now that's ideal. Does it happen all the time? No. Sometimes I'll hunt properties three, four different times, sometimes even five, depending on certain situations and things like that. But, you know, it sounds crazy, but it's more on the coyote management side. Now there's a lot of different variables involved in that. You know, some of those places you might not have sole access to other people. May, you may be letting it sit for a month and a half, but there may be 10 other guys in there hunting it. And it's all things you got to kind of put into the equation. So, but that'll give you a decent idea of really how much, if you think you're going to hunt coyotes, let's just say you're going to hunt coyotes 10 days a month. So through my equation, you said, okay, I need 20 days worth of access. And you say, man, I only have like three places to hunt coyotes. Um, what that should tell you is if you're going to hunt, spend 10 days hunting coyotes, but you only have enough days access for three days, maybe let's take those other seven days instead of going and hunting those same three spots over and over and over again. Let's spend those seven days scouting new ground, knocking on doors, getting permission, trying to, you know, line up more access. So now instead of three, I have maybe six or eight. 
um, instead of just going back and hunting the same spot over and over. Now, this is why people do this. It's easy just to go back to the same spot over and over and over and over and over again because you know it, um, you're familiar with it, you know the landowner, the whatever it is. Um, you know, it's it's uncomfortable sometimes to go knock on doors and get permission and kind of go out of your comfort zone to find new things. Um, but it's something you have to do. Land access is incredible, and it all starts early in the season like this. Now, a second part of this is looking at the properties you have to hunt, and, and I kind of rank them, um, you know, whether they're public land, whether they're private land. Um, if they're public land, do I think, you know, are they kind of off more off the beaten path, or there's something that probably everybody's going to eventually try to call when I look at my private ground? Um, is it something that maybe the rancher, maybe it's a family ranch or personal friend, and maybe they're the only one that lets me out there hunt. Maybe it's, maybe it's a good, good rancher and he lets anybody that asks out to hunt. So I'll calculate all that. Now, what, what happens a lot of times, just from me, my experience of talking with lots of coyote hunters from all over the country, we all have the itch early in the season to go out and kill coyotes, right? And a lot of times what happens is we're pumped up to go hunting coyotes. So when we have the first chance to go, what do we end up doing? We end up wanting to go to our very best spot. And why is that our very best spot? More than likely, it's probably our best spot because it's either a public place that's maybe way off the beaten path that nobody else has found, or it's a private ranch that maybe nobody, a lot of people don't have access to. And they'll go hunt that very first thing out just because it's, they know it's going to be good, and they're excited, and they're pumped up, and they'll go hunt that, that place right off the bat. Um, the problem with that is, is that place was probably good to save till maybe later in the winter. And maybe if you would have looked, taken a little bit deeper look at, you know, the places you have, maybe the, maybe the first several hunts of the year, you go and hunt the places that maybe are going to have more pressure, more competition from other hunters and try to be one of the first couple ones into that area. And it's hard to do because obviously those might not be your best days. You might, you know, might only kill a coyote or two in those places versus maybe a, a five or six coyote day in your other places. So it's hard to do, but it's something if you want to consistently kill coyotes, you know, for four or five months, it's something you got to definitely look at and do. So evaluate your properties. Um, and like I said, back to my story of our hunt, you know, this weekend, you know, we hit some public sections and these, these sections, I guarantee in another two months probably won't be very good. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll have been hunted by multiple other hunters, um, you know, and Brett has access to lots of landowners down there and we didn't hit a lot of it. You know, he'll save that for later in the winter, um, and things like that for possibly a contest or, um, you know, something else that comes up, you know, maybe when the fur's a little bit better, um, and worth a little bit more money and things like that. So, so keep all that in mind. Um, you know, when it comes to, to lining up properties and, and assessing your properties and, and basing early season hunts versus late season hunts. Second part of that, you know, different parts of the country, you know, early season, you, you have to look at the food sources. What are the coyotes eating early season? What are the coyotes eating in the summer? What are they eating in, in the fall? Um, you know, here in our neck of the woods in, in Nebraska, Colorado, um, the, there's lots and lots of food sources for these coyotes. I mean, right now, even in October, there's still, there's still the, the snakes, the, the lizards, um, you know, these, there's water. So there's, they're eating frogs and toads. There's grasshoppers. We have these massive grasshoppers. that are like two inches tall. We, we saw some this weekend out hunting, you know, um, obviously then you have all the rodents and the rabbits and all the normal stuff that you might think they have, you know, the coyotes will eat cactus blooms and you name it, these coyotes will eat it. So there's, there's just a plethora of, of food sources for them right now. So, 
you know, if you go into more arid parts of the West, you know, some of the sage country of Wyoming, Nevada, um, you know, down in the Southwest, those food sources are limited. They don't have that many options. So, you know, I relate to that. Those coyotes are eating rabbits a primary portion of the year. So the hunting can be a little bit better in those situations earlier in the fall than it can be in maybe our neck of the woods because, um, you know, they get a little colder quicker. Um, the coyotes are, are turning gears a little bit more, you know, the pup coyotes and things like that are having to hunt a little bit harder. Um, so, you know, for example, an early season hunt, you know, let's say the end of September, 1st of October, and some of that sage country of Wyoming or Nevada down in the deserts of, uh, you know, Nevada or Arizona, New Mexico, um, you know, rabbit based sounds, you might have some really, really good responses from coyotes, meaning good, hard runs, coyotes coming from long, long ways to, to eat where that same time frame in maybe the Midwest and even the East, when you, when the prey species and the amount of food sources are, you know, still abundant, you know, those coyotes aren't going to be as motivated to come from as far and maybe as run as hard to the call and things like that. So sometimes it takes a little bit later in the winter, you know, hard, hard, hard freezes for multiple nights, um, some snow and things like that to really kill off some of these other food sources or get rid of some of these other food sources and, and really, you know, force these coyotes to start hunting, you know, rodents and rabbits and things like that. And that's sometimes that's really will be the kicker when the, when the hunting gets good in those areas, when you finally get to those points, um, when, when the conditions change like that. Now, kind of one of the last things I want to talk, talk to you about is early season sounds. Um, you know, when we look back at that coyote life cycle, you know, in October, you know, you're, you're estimating that probably anywhere from 50 to 70% of the callable coyote population that time of year is going to be pup coyotes, meaning these, you know, five, six-month-old coyote pups that are dispersing across the country, okay? So when you think about that, you know, these are not very aggressive coyotes. You know, some of these coyotes have no clue where they're at. They're just, they're transient coyotes that are dispersing, you know, trying to find their own little territories. Um, so you really have to be cognizant of that and, and say, okay, if if there's a very good chance that the coyote that's out here on this stand that I'm hoping to call in is one of these young coyotes, I don't want to spook this coyote off playing the wrong ba- the wrong type of sound, you know, meaning more of an aggressive bass sound, you know, some sort of coyote howls, maybe like a deep pear howl, um, maybe some knockdown drag out coyote fights, um, even just a, you know, a loud rabbit sometimes, a jackrabbit or something could be enough to even spook them off. So when I'm looking at ki- uh, sounds, you know, I'll put them on an aggression scale. And if you look at prey-based sounds, you know, that's your rabbits, your birds, your rodents, you know, there's less aggressive sounds and there's more aggressive sounds. And what I mean by that is some of your more higher pitch, squeaky, um, you know, naturally not loud sounds like your lip squeaks, like your baby cottontail demise, like your rodent squeaks and, and things like that. Those are the less aggressive. And then, you know, maybe some of your bird sounds like there's a sound called lucky pecker on, on the lucky ducks that I use a lot. And it's kind of mid range, I would say in the aggression scale. And then you get into the loud, loud rabbits, more, more aggressive. Um, and like I said, I'll use those loud, more aggressive sounds if there's wind. And I just think I need more volume to carry out there a little further. Um, but early on in the season like this, um, if there's not a lot of wind, I will use those less aggressive sounds a lot. Now, when I'm throwing sounds at them, um, I'm not going to play prey distress sounds the whole time. I'm going to play prey distress sounds for the first maybe five minutes. 
I may play that squeakier, less aggressive sound for the first two or three minutes, and that's basically appealing to any coyotes that's that's maybe out there within you know three, four, five hundred yards. Obviously, if a coyote's only that far out there, it's not going to take them very long to get to us if they decide they want to come and investigate the sound. At that point, I may I may say, you know what, I I want a little more volume to to carry out across this stand a little bit more, so I may switch to a sound like Lucky Pecker or TNT Cottontail or Cotton Ball uh, for the next three or four minutes just to carry out that. Now that sound's carrying out to maybe 800 to 1,000 yards, and I'll give that a couple more minutes to say, okay, if the coyote hears that and wants to respond to the call, it shouldn't take him just a few minutes to, to cover that ground and get here. Now at that point, I'm you know six six minutes deep into the stand. Um, I'm going to switch gears. I'm going to say, okay, you know what? We, we tried to key on this hunger instinct with the prey stress uh, – prey distress sounds. Now I want to key on more of this social family dynamic that these coyotes have been part of for the last, you know, four months, meaning these family groups of pup coyotes being raised by the mom and dad. So I'm going to go to pup distress sounds, you know, huge assortment of those on the lucky duck calls. You go into the pup distress folder, you got schoolyard brawl, you got pup chaos, you got pup detention. And, and these are pup, you know, Kai, you know, a Kai eyes, essentially pup distress calls. Um, and not only will you key in on, you know, the adult coyotes that maybe think, hey, maybe their pups have just dispersed in the last month, and they may think this is one of their pups in trouble. I don't know exactly what a coyote's thinking, um, but but it triggers something different in the coyotes than what a prey distress sound does. And I'm going to play that because it is that is a more aggressive sound than your prey distress sound, especially your, your rabbit or your uh, rodent squeaks and things like that. So I'll elect to play that last. And that's that aggression scale as well, based on the first sound I'll play and the last sound I'll play on a stand. I will do that aggression scale as well. I'll start less aggressive when I end the stand. I'm I'm as aggressive as I want to be, and and that's usually how I'll set up. Usually stands for this early season. You know, prey distress sounds for the first half, pup distress, coyote based sounds for the second half. Um, and depending on the day, you know, early like that, you know, like this example, this past weekend, it was 72 degrees, sunny in the middle of the day. At that point in the middle part of the day, you just know these coyotes aren't willing to travel that far to the call. They're not going to come running from, you know, a thousand yards or a mile, you know, they're just not going to come that far. So you have to really anticipate that the coyotes you're calling in are coming from, you know, under a half mile, 800 yards and under, and it just doesn't take coyotes that long to cover that distance if they're interested in, in coming to the call. So I'm not sitting there that long. I'm covering lots of ground, um, and I'm able to make more stands in a day and, uh, you know, hopefully kill more coyotes. So that's kind of the approach that I take um, to early season hunting. So once again, it's not always great. You know, you are going to run into some days where, you know, maybe you're just experimenting with some new new ground. Maybe you're hunting some of those areas that maybe you know aren't going to be great. You're saving your, you're being patient, and you're doing it the right way, and you're saving your good ground for maybe a little bit later in the winter um, when some of this other stuff gets hammered a little bit harder. Um, but uh, but be patient. Um, it's a good time to get out. It's a good time to knock the dust off everything and get ready. Um, if you're into the fur market, obviously, you know, the, the fur isn't quite primed yet when you're shooting coyotes in October. Um, but that's okay. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, don't, don't go kill off all your coyotes in October, but it's good to go knock the dust off. And, and so once the fur buyer, the fur market picks up in November, uh, you're ready to roll. But, uh, but that's really about all I wanted to talk about today with, with early season tactics. Hopefully, uh, you can put some of this to use right now, um, and get out there and get some coyotes killed. 
Um, I'm going to get into a lot more on these these future episodes. Um, I'm actually headed to Idaho here uh, to film uh, the first episodes of season four, of The Last Stand here. So I'll be having a, a a podcast coming up shortly on that hunt. Heading up to Rusty Gamble and Seth Simpson, Craig Sandy. You got you might recognize those guys from Instagram and things like that. So uh, that's about all I have. So once again, want to thank Lucky Duck um, Predator Calls for sponsoring this episode. Big thanks to Eastman's. Um, if you want to check out that new Super Revolt, you can go to LuckyDuck.com. Um, if you want more information about myself and what I do, you can visit my website at CoyoteCraze.com. Um, follow me on Instagram. I'm going to be posting stories. I'm going to be hunting a lot from here on out. So um, just it's at Jeff Nimnick, and that's G-E-O-F-F. Uh, just search that in the, the little search engine on Instagram, and you'll be able to find me. I'll be one of the first couple that come up there. So, um, so yeah. Looking forward to getting going. The season's just getting going. I'm pumped up. Um, Going to be uh, bringing you a lot more great stuff here shortly. So appreciate you tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. <laughs>